Good morning and welcome to breakfast. We want to acknowledge that we broadcast today from the stolen lands of the Wurundjeri and the Boonwurrung peoples of the Kulin Nation. And we pay our respects to elders past and present and acknowledge the continued resilience of First Nations people in the face of ongoing colonisation and settlement. And we recognise sovereignty was never ceded and a treaty was never signed. This is 3CR Breakfast. Alternative news, analysis and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am to 8.30am. Good morning and welcome to 3CR Breakfast. You are joined um, by me, myself and I this morning. It's just uh, Jacob in the studio today. Um, And I must say how thrilling it is to be here when my head only hit the pillow a few short hours ago. So thanks for joining us. Um, And as per usual, there's no shortage of really interesting and enthralling topics that we'll be talking about on today's show. Our team has put together quite the schedule of news items for you. So first up, we're going to be hearing an interview from A Friday Rave, which is another program on 3CR. And they're going to be talking about the Australian laws around Australia going into war. And so Dr. Alison Bronowski is a former Australian foreign affairs diplomat who is actively campaigning to change the status quo. So I think we're going to be hearing a bit about how uh, the process of Australia actually engaging in war um, is a lot less diplomatic than we might think, uh, or democratic, I should say, than we might think. So that one should be a really interesting and insightful piece, uh, and I think particularly is relevant right now with a lot of the the conflicts happening in the world today. Um, it's a bit crazy out there. So that one will be first up um, straight after this a little intro. And then later on at about 10 to 8, um, we're going to be hearing from a number of young people who participated in a really exciting program called the YMCA Victorian Youth Parliament. Now, if you haven't heard of this program before, it brings together over 120 young people from across metropolitan and regional Victoria. Uh, And these young people in teams develop bills, and then they debate those bills in the Houses of Parliament. So I was fortunate enough to also be a participant in this program um, in a component called the Youth Press Gallery, uh, in which young journalists such as myself were reporting on the bills. So looking forward to bringing you that segment at around 10 to 8. Um, And then finally, we're going to be speaking to a beloved member of the 3CR family, Mercedes Zanka, who's going to be speaking about their event, Climate, Capitalism and the Future. So I think they've got a splendid lineup of speakers. Um, And this event is actually to fundraise for 3CR's Radiothon, uh, which happened in June. But by the way, we're still taking donations. So if you have any spare change um, and you want to give it our way, it really does go a long way in keeping radical voices and alternative voices on the air. So head to the website 3cr.org.au forward slash donate. Um, You can donate all year round 
Alternatively, you can call the station on 0394198377 and we will be forever grateful. So you're on 3CR Breakfast. I'm Jacob and we're going to play a quick community service announcement and then we'll be right back after this. Three CR Radiothon Fundraiser, three to seven PM Saturday, twenty third of July. Uprise Radio and Stick Together join forces, bringing you an afternoon of discussion and music. Climate, capitalism, and the future. Zelda Grimshaw from Blockade Australia. Dr. Colin Long, sustainability campaigner from Victoria Trades Hall, and Anthony Kelly from Melbourne Activist Legal Service. Followed by tunes from local legends Les Thomas and Maxine Fink. Followed by Sooty Owls. Refreshments, raffle and fun. Climate, capitalism and the future. Uprise Radio and Stick Together event. 3CR fundraiser. Saturday, July the 23rd, 3 to 7pm. Black Spark Cultural Centre, 253A St George's Road. Tram 11 will get you there. Stop 30. $10 solidarity. No one turned away. Welcome back, 3CR Breakfast. And that was some information about the upcoming fundraiser um, on climate, capitalism and the future. More on that later but for now we're going to delve into the serious topic of war and in particular the legal process of Australia entering into a war. So current Australian laws allow the Prime Minister to commit Australians to military conflict without the sanction of Parliament. So no parliamentary debate and no voting on the issue by those elected to represent us. Dr. Alison Bronowski is a former Australian foreign affairs diplomat who is actively campaigning to change the status quo. She heads up an organisation called Australians for War Powers Reform, which is leading the campaign to bring parliamentary scrutiny into any war mandate. Last week, Jacob from 3CR's A Friday Rave program spoke to Dr. Bronowski about the campaign. And welcome to Community Radio 3CR. Thank you, Jacob. Nice to be here. Alison, regular listeners be well aware of the increase in militarisation, not only of the planet in general, but more specifically of Australia, our own little part of it. As we carry on with AUKUS and the Quad and our Prime Minister spends time and effort in spruiking the global rules-based order, whatever they are, at the NATO meeting in Madrid before heading over to the Ukraine to um, deliver more Bushmasters, um, We've now got a Prime Minister tank, tank man, I guess, rather than the sub-Prime Minister. We had the last one. It seems hard not to draw the conclusion that we're at least in part preparing for war. So I guess could you start by telling our listeners what the current process, or should I say the current legal process, is for Australia to enter a war? Let's just go back for a moment to where you started, which is getting closer to war preparing for war. I can't remember a time when I've been so worried about that prospect. It really um, is no longer something that happens elsewhere. It's something that could happen very close to us very soon. 
And it was not only encouraged by the previous government, but sadly, when we all hoped for change, it seems to be uh, part of the policy of the current government as well, mm -hmm. to our great disappointment and disillusionment. And we'll get around to whose rules and who made them up and where they're based and all of that a little bit later. But let's come back to your question about uh, the war powers and what they are. A lot of Australians, when you explain to them what Australians for War Powers Reform is about, they say, oh, we didn't know. We didn't know that. We didn't know that the Prime Minister of the day can virtually alone, if he or she decides, say to the Defence Minister, send off the troops, and they go, mm -hmm. just like that without any debate, without any detail being provided to the public, without any discussion about the costs or the consequences, how long it's going to go on, who's going to die, and so on. Yes. And these are the people who whose taxes pay for it, right? Absolutely. And the pay is, and the costs are beyond belief when we're told that we can't afford um, this and that, we can't afford a proper teaching service, we can't afford to properly staff our health service. <laughs> you have to wonder what the priorities are. It's obviously the priority of this government and its predecessor is killing people, not saving lives. Yes, I've got to, I've got to say there, you're bipartisan or non-partisan, I should say, Um as am I. It's um, oftentimes when I'm talking about the government, I need to add that I'm not talking about this one or the last one because at least in terms of militarisation and the militarisation of our economy and society, they seem to be um, tweedledee and tweedledum. They are, and they have been for a very long time. Well, at least from, from the beginning of this century. From 2000, 2001, there's been bipartisanship between the two leading partners, parties on foreign affairs and defence. And that's the reason why we don't see them debated much at all. They're, they're not discussed in the parliament. They're not debated in the media in any terms that are different from each other or that offer the voters a choice. It's all one way. Yes. And, and it all depends on the US alliance. And AUKUS is just the, the the cherry on the top of the US alliance, which has dictated our foreign and defence policies for a very long time. Of course, and a lot of people would be aware of places like Pine Gap and Australian treaties like um like the ANZUS Treaty. Um but there seems to be a lot more of it with AUKUS. They're actually talking about, um, what's the word, um, integrating their science, their technology research. They're talking about space programs. They're not just talking about submarines here, but they're talking about integrating Australia into a larger, well, with Australia, UK and the US, of course, what I see as the white English-speaking world. Yeah, you're right. And uh, the submarine thing was just part of the 
of the big PR announcement when Scott Morrison came out with this and everyone went, oh, submarines. And then they all fell into discussion with the detail and so on, which is completely um, ridiculous because we have no idea what the facts are, what it will cost. We don't know when it will be delivered. We said we'll get, they say we'll get eight. Um, they'll be more expensive, way more expensive than what we're going to pay for the French ones. Yes. And what in the world is their purpose? Because by the time we get them, assuming that they're aimed at China, the Chinese will be way ahead of us, not only in what they've got, but how many they've got. And so we won't even be competitive. The much vaunted in the AUKUS agreement is that they simply do what the Americans are doing anyway and just do it from the Australian side. And the Americans always, this is their one and only weakness in this regard, they always need a coalition. They yes. always need to be able to say, when it's not just us, the imperial power, doing this by ourselves, it's us doing it with a coalition of other countries. That's what we did in Afghanistan. That's what we did in Iraq. We are preparing, and this is my point about I've, I've never been so worried. We are now preparing to do it against China. as a result of United States provocation, either in the South China Sea or over Taiwan, the Americans would not want to fight it, just as they're not fighting Ukraine, in Ukraine. Who would be fighting it? We would. We will be. And the Taiwanese. And they would fight that war to the last Australian and the last Taiwanese if they had to. Yes. Because we are now the, the co-located proxies of the United States in this part of the world. Not only that, it may seem cynical on their part, but they are responding to offers and pleas from successive Australian governments to do this. Yes. It's not like they're pushing it on us. This is this is the part that, one of the parts that breaks my heart. It's not like they're saying you have to do this, you have to do that, but Australian governments are saying, can we please do this? Can we please do that? Exactly. And, and in fact, you're not, you're not quite right, because although uh, Professor Mearsheimer from Chicago has recently made a very sensible speech uh, in, in which he deplores the slow and relentless march from Ukraine to China, he did say, and I heard him here in Sydney um, about four years ago, he did say to an audience here, it's up to you guys to decide. You're either with us or you're against us. And if you're against us, it'll be the worst for you. He yes. said it. Yeah. And, and the audience went <laughs> and sort of laughed as if he was joking. Yes. And it was a very, a very conservative audience, I can tell you. They laughed as if he wasn't actually a mafia protection racket. Indeed. Yes. And it has, it has never left my mind because while – you say we're the ones volunteering, and yes, we are all the time. We, our leaders, know what we are supposed to do. And we aren't supposed to decide for ourselves if we have a war. They do. Yes. The Americans do, and they tell us. And we say, oh, right then. Well, Now, that's why Australians for War Powers Reform is doing its level best to get the danger of this situation 
through to other Australians because the two major parties are seriously not interested in changing their control of the response to that American command. They want to keep that control in their own hands. They don't want it discussed by the people at large. And what we're trying to do is use the democratic system, such as it is in this country, to require them to be obliged to have a debate and a vote in the parliament before it happens. We're not saying we should never under any circumstances go to war. Of course, we would have to be responsive to emergencies. If there were any, we would have to try and fend them off diplomatically before they they arrived, of course, much more important. But um, what we do say is that because the Australian community itself is the most impacted by a war, both financially, personally, economically, and, and in terms of personal security, we should have a say through our elected representatives before such a war occurs. Into, so that's in, what we're trying to do. Into into when and where we go for, to war. And you say the um, the the priorities of the Australian government, it's not just if we're in war, it's, of course, things like, as you started off saying, we can't get enough rats tests into our AIDS care facilities, let alone hospitals, yet we can afford to spend, I mean, everyone knows about the nuclear submarines, but $110 billion on a sovereign guided missile project. And and I could list our major spending for the, for the half hour. But, but at the moment, to go to war, I know... Um, in effect, what happens, I remember when the World Trade Centre was attacked, John Howard was over in the US, and he pretty much said right up front on the day that Australia would assist the US with whatever they need. But what is the legal process? What John Howard did was the very next day he was in a plane uh, getting out of Washington, where he had been, and it made a powerful impact upon him, of course, what happened. Mm. Um, But he unilaterally, or he spoke with Downer, the foreign minister, who owes him his job after all. Of course. Um, he spoke with Downer and said, "I, when I get back, I am going to invoke the ANZUS Treaty, which will uh, require, for the very first time ever, uh, Australia to go to the aid of the United States in an attack that is not in the Pacific area, which is what the treaty specifies. Yes. But is against the United States in its home mainland territory. The treaty does not say that. It doesn't the treaty say does that. not oblige no. us to do that in the United States, nor significantly does it oblige the United States to defend the mainland of Australia. No, there's only either. an obligation to consult. Yes, precisely. And and people who think and, and you hear them all the time say, oh, the Americans will, the Americans will defend us. Don't worry. Yeah. Yeah. No. I mean, I, I, I ask them, I ask students, have you read the ANZUS Treaty? Does it make you feel safe? Oh. And, and I had a student come to me in tears saying, what are we going to do? It's nothing. Well, it- <laughs> and I have spoken at the, um, I think it was the 70th anniversary of the ANZUS Treaty. I did a special on this show on, what, not only what it actually said, but uh, the conditions around which it was drafted, with Australia needing to be seen to have a to have a treaty with the United States before we allowed um, peace talks to begin with 
with Japan under under um, Menzies and, and Spender. That's um, right. That's that's exactly what it was for. It, and it was a all PR was, exercise. Yeah, and 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 it didn't even do that. It didn't, no. I mean, the, the the Koreans and the and the Japanese got treaties out of the United States that guaranteed um, U.S. protection. Yes, which yes. which ours which ours does not but, not at all. But and it's been another. sold to generations of Australians as a guarantee of our security. And yes. in fact, it isn't at all. You're on 3CR Breakfast, and at the moment we're listening to the President of the Australians for War Powers Reform, Dr Alison Broynowski, about the Australian Prime Minister's power to enter a war without the approval of the nation's elected representatives in Parliament, as well as Australia's simpering relationship with the United States. We're going to take a short break now, but stay tuned. When we come back, we'll be hearing exactly how our system got to this place and the changes needed to strengthen our democracy as we navigate increasing geopolitical volatility in our region and the world. Imagine what it would be like to be homeless in a city under curfew and in lockdown. When your everyday life has been turned upside down and it becomes illegal to be on the street. Tune in to Homeless in Hotels. A three-part radio series giving voice to the people who went from a life on the street to a life in hotels. And the support workers experiencing the shifting ground on the front line of COVID-19. Premiering on Thursday, July 28th, 12pm to 1pm on 3CR 855am Homeless in Hotels a 3CR supporter Hi everyone my name's Robbie Thorpe I'm with 3CR Community Radio every year we have a subscription drive it's a way of supporting our organisation maintain itself through the year and we rely on the support of the, the community. One way to do that is to subscribe and become a member. Become part of this organisation itself. Get in contact with 3CR. You can go to the website 3cr.org.au or you can ring on 9419 3CR ensures that our voices, Aboriginal voices, are heard on this radio station. So it's a good way of supporting Aboriginal people as well by becoming a subscriber for 3CR Community Radio. Have you had your COVID-19 booster vaccine? The Murdoch Children's Research Institute, located at Royal Children's Hospital, are looking for people aged 18 years or older who have not yet received a COVID-19 booster vaccine to participate in the COVID-19 booster trial. You will either be given a standard or reduced dose Pfizer or Moderna booster and you will receive your antibody test results. For more information, contact covid.booster at mcri.edu.au. The Murdoch Children's Research Institute is a 3CR supporter. And you're back with Jacob on 3CR Breakfast. Before the break, we heard from the President of Australians for War Powers Reform, Dr. Alison Bronowski. Dr. Bronowski is leading a campaign to change the current Australian laws, allowing the Prime Minister to commit our country to military conflict, 
without parliamentary approval. And we're going to pick up the conversation as Dr. Bronowski explains how Australia inherited this system from the British and what change would mean for our democracy. But first, 3CR presenter Jacob from A Friday Rave, who is hosting the discussion, backtracks to consider Australia's record in terms of actively declaring war on another country. When we look at how Australia is sent to war, I'm thinking, I mean, the last time I think we officially declared war was during World War II after Thailand declared war in the US. We said, well, we'll declare war on Thailand. But I think every war since then, I'm thinking... Malaysia or Korea, I can't remember which was first, and then, you know, all the others right up to Iraq, Afghanistan, um, all the peace, you know, Syria, the peacekeeping so-called things in, in Somalia. We have not yet declared war since, I believe, the Second World War. That's quite right. And this is one of the, one of the difficulties that we're up, up against in Australia's war powers reform because uh, there won't... When when George Bush declared war on terror in 2001, it was one of his rare strokes of genius because how can you fight terror? Yeah. Terror's an abstract now. Yes. Um, it, how can you fight terror? How would you know when you've won? How yeah. would you know when it will end? And And... And I mean, they still now, every now and again, you'll get an American military person saying, well, we're still fighting terror, you know. Mm, of course. <laughs> and, and, every, and, and so that, that kept them going with no check on the capacity of the US president of the day to go on fighting, sending troops to war and paying eye-watering amounts for it because the Congress just kept approving it, mm. sort of because it was the same war as the one they approved in the first place. And they, now, they, they, they keep approving it. Exactly. Now, their, their position, their uh, constitutional position, is slightly different from ours. Ours is actually, if anything, worse, because in the United States Constitution, it is required that Congress approve the expenditure uh, that a president requires for a war yeah and they can withhold it and and in recent efforts they have been trying to withhold other things as well like continuing states of emergency some of them have been going for 30 years yeah. and, and, um, but you see we our situation is even less democratic than theirs yes. because ours depends on a british based british draft constitution of the kind that the old colonies got. Um, Canada's got one. New Zealand has got one. South Africa changed theirs. But the old style colonial constitution drafted by the Brits just gave, there, there was no reference to politicians or prime ministers or parties. The governor general was responsible for controlling the colony. Yeah. And and governors in each of the of the colony at large and each of the colonies themselves had governors too, all responsible to the monarch. And the monarch inherited this this war power from sovereign uh, tradition years back that it was the sovereign's right to declare war and peace. It, it, exactly. Yeah. And it was not changed. 
Yeah. And so the the way that has filtered down over time in Australia is that that power is given to the prime minister. And if the prime minister gets the word from the United States, all he or she has to do is call in, it doesn't even have to, but it, the practice is to call in the National Security Committee of Cabinet, say to them, all appointed by this, the prime minister, yeah. of course, yeah. <laughs> uh, say to them, right, chaps, uh, war. This is where it is, and this is what we're going this to do. This is what we're And doing. it's going to start tomorrow. Okay. <laughs> and, and there is no democratic control over that at all, and that's what we're trying to get. Okay, so on that, you started off by saying, and I agree, it's bipartisan, um, but I did remember at the last ALP conference, I was following it a bit more closely than I normally follow ALP national conferences because... I was involved in getting a referendum on our friend Julian Assange's situation up before the ALP conference. and But there was also talk about an um, inquiry into the war powers. Mm -hmm. What was the, happening there? Well, the ALP has twice agreed at national, uh, either its own uh, national committee meeting, which was in 2018, or the one that you're talking about last year, which was a special uh, session for mm. a special policy session. Uh, they have agreed on both those occasions that in the first term of a Labour government, they would hold an inquiry into how Australia goes to war. Now, as a matter of fact, just today, I have written letters to the Prime Minister, Penny Wong, and uh, Richard Miles, the Defence Minister, asking, reminding all of them of this undertaking and asking when we can expect that inquiry to be announced. And, what, and what, term, what does and an inquiry, so, sorry, what do war powers, we're running out of time, what do war powers look like for Australians for war powers reform? What kind of, what kind of thing would you like to be embedded in our law to make happen before we send Australians overseas. Okay. Changing the constitution, which has got lots of other problems, uh, is impossible for a subject like this. What we are recommending is a legislative change, quite simple, very brief, to the Defence Act. And all it would do is say that before troops are deployed to war, these things will happen. There will be a debate and a vote in the parliament. That's all. It's a very simple change, and it can be done by not very much legislation. It and it has been proposed to the government repeatedly since 1986 when the Democrats yeah, started doing it. The Greens have done it several times. Hmm. And every time it's gone before um, uh, a committee in the parliament, they just throw it out straight away without consideration. And they say it's not well drafted or they find some excuse. Oh, they find um, any number of excuses. But but on this, the great thing about having people like, well, I think back in the Democrats' day, I'm not sure, but Sid Spindler rings a bell talking about this. But having Scott Ludlam when he was in, when he had his bum on, on red leather, um, or indeed going back to Joe Valentine, is that, the good thing about it is not that they can make laws or pass bills because they're a minor party and we they try, but they can ask the right questions in estimates committee, which give us a wealth of information on what's actually happening. And I, I remember oh. actually 
Joe Val in particular, managing to get chapter and verse on arms exports um, mm -hmm. before they made all them commercial in confidence. And so one mm -hmm. of the big hopes, for me at any rate, about war powers reform isn't the obvious that it may actually stop us getting into an unnecessary war, um, but that the reasoning behind the decisions have to be debated in Parliament and that politicians right. making the decisions may later be made to be accountable for their decisions. That's right. And and if the war goes badly, as all the wars you've mentioned ever since Vietnam have gone badly, if that happened, the the politicians who voted for it would be accountable to their electorate, and quite rightly. And yeah. people would say, hey, you voted for that. Now look, if we're all alive to tell the tale, and, and that brings me back to my real concern, that the prospect of war involving Australia is getting closer and closer. Up to now, we've been able to talk about it as if it was sort of an abstract thing that we wouldn't ever really have to deal with up front. And and so, you know, we've been able to talk about this thing for, what, 12 years now, and we're still talking about it, but it's getting very close. Mm -hmm. and, the, and the way both the government and the, uh, the current government and the previous government are talking about China gives me great concern. And I, think I don't think... I think it should give everybody watching what's going on in the world great concern Alison but that's unfortunately all we've got time for today and um, I will also note that there is a strong veterans element to your campaign um, which to me bears out the thing we first saw during the conscription referendums in the first world war where people who dislike war the most are the people who have to fight it exactly and the the responses we've had from veterans Proves that, and their families um, proves your point. They are the ones who pay big time. And all the, the hyperbole you hear at the War Memorial about ultimate sacrifices and all that sort of thing are said by the weapons industry that don't make any sacrifices at all and, in fact, make squillions of money. Yes. So <laughs> it, the hypocrisy of the whole thing is, oh. is breathtaking. Anyway, Jacob, I would be delighted for any of your listeners to get in touch with us. Our website is www.warpowersreform.org.au and all the information about us is there, including how you can become a member, how you can push our barrow for us with your local members and how we can, let's hope, put something between us and the next war. And that was Dr. Alison Bronowski there speaking on... Uh, uh, sorry, the president of the Australians for War Law Reform organization, talking to 3CR's Friday Rave host Jacob about their campaign to change the Australian legal process for entering war. If you want to learn more about Alison's work and the campaign, you can head to www.warpowersreform.org.au. A big thanks to Jacob from A Friday Rave for sharing this extraordinarily enlightening interview and you can hear more from jacob every friday at five o'clock uh, that's 5 p.m on 3cr and thank you as well to claudia craig our host of wednesday breakfast uh, for bringing this excerpt to us really fascinating discussion there on war 
And I think as well, to extend upon that discussion, we also need to acknowledge that there was, uh, and to some extent there continues to be a war against First Nations people of this country, uh, which similarly doesn't require the approval of people and of democratically um, elected representatives. So last week, if you didn't know, it was NAIDOC week, and the theme was get up, stand up, show up. So 3CR as always, we'll continue to show up for our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. Um, And I want to listen to a song now. This one's called No, No, No by Archie Roach. Listening to the land Well, make them stop Please make them stop It's burning in my brain The people, they just passing by They don't understand Oh, they can't hear our mother cry And they can't feel her pain No, no, no No, no, no Feel their anger, feel their rage How much can we take? had a feed You can go and kill some more No 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 I reach out look around my eyes I try but can't block out the sound of crying in my ears so take a walk with me my friend and you might be surprised before our journey's at an end you might even Kiss her cheek, nestle at her breast. Then I hear my mother speak. She said, We're one, you and I. No, no, 
and you're on 3CR Breakfast, joined by Jacob this morning. That was No, No, No by Archie Roach. And now we're going to be turning the dial a little bit um, and hearing about what's quite a spectacular drag show. Now, politics and drag might be an unusual coupling, but that's just the enticing mix coming to the stage in Melbourne later this month. Gone Girls is a drag fantasy comedy exploring the behind-the-scenes relationship of former Australian Prime Minister Julia Gillard and ex-Liberal Party Deputy and Foreign Minister Julie Bishop. Described by the creators as an ode to women in power, the show is set against the backdrop of gender and misogyny in the parliamentary workplace and comes on the eve of the 10th anniversary of Gillard's famous misogyny speech, The production opens at the Albert Park Gasworks Theatre on July 28th and runs until August 6th. 3CR's In Your Face host, James McKenzie, caught up with Gone Girls writer, creator and lead actor Patrick Livesey and co-director Will King last week to find out more. Ev, Patrick (laughs) and Will in the studio. Welcome to 3CR. Hey, thanks thanks for having us. us. Gone Girls, you're bringing back Julia Gillard and (laughs) Julie Bishop. Do tell. So Gone Girls is a drag fantasy about a possible relationship between Julia Gillard and Julie Bishop during their time in politics. Wow. Yeah. That's controversial. It is. I suppose so. It it came to me in 2018 right after the Lib Spill when Julie Bishop missed out on becoming Prime Minister. Um, and I just thought it would be funny if Julia Gillard wrote her a letter and they kind of bonded over it and then maybe something else happened. Who knows? Um, but then I, yeah, turned that into this kind of uh, look back at history and it takes place in all the kind of private moments that mirror all the real moments we know. So the misogyny speech, um, the election, all those things, and then what was happening behind the scenes between these two, a rivalry initially, and then it becomes something else. So, Patrick, I have to say you are Julia Gillard in the production. Yes. April Larkham is uh, Julie Bishop. And you, Will King, are the co-director. That's right. What's that like? It's great. I mean, um, Belle and Pat are both, oh, well, Belle's a good friend and Pat and I are a couple. So, um, you know, we spend a lot of time together, but we also have such a like shared language and it's sort of a good back and forth that I think makes it easier in the rehearsal room and building it all together. But yeah, co-director, we all sort of are directing it together. Mm. And what's it like for Annabelle playing Julie Bishop? Uh, so, I mean, Belle's great. Belle's so funny. It was so important for us. Um, well, for me, when I had this idea that... Um, I got someone, a a woman to do the drag because I wanted to highlight that aspect of drag. So it wasn't something that, you know, three or four years ago was, um, was that common to see. And a lot of people were like, oh, but that's not drag. And it's like, yeah, it's, you know, Belle's putting on a wig. She's putting on all this insane makeup. She's donning the dress. Like that's as much as drag as what Mm -hmm. I'm doing. Um, and it's been a really funny journey because Belle saw the initial, Belle wasn't in the initial season, um, but Belle is one of my closest friends and she saw the show. And then afterwards I kind of put it to rest for a little bit, but then I wanted to bring it back. And then I was talking to Belle and Belle was talking about how much she loved the idea and how she had a few ideas of her own. And so, yeah, since Belle's come on board, it's really kind of 
avalanched into its uh, completely different thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting because when I was thinking about Julie Bishop, I was thinking, look, she'd be a great character to do drag, you know. Yeah, and, and I was thinking of you, but I thought, no, hang on a second, faux drag, which is what Belle's doing. Yeah, in yeah. the role, she's a fabulous character for that because yeah. of those, you know, those big gowns, yeah, and bow yeah. ridiculous, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the yeah. high heels, the brooches, yeah, yeah, so much. It's so elaborate and so over the top, and not what we're used to seeing from you know. A politician like seeing some of the um, the campaigns that she's doing now. I follow her on Instagram, and it's incredible. <laughs> it's high drag. <laughs> well, it really is, yeah. and in actual fact, the fashion that she's doing very much is almost faux drag itself. Yeah, and she's in the news, of course, of at course. the moment. Yes, yes, she is. Yeah, um, David really wanted to get in and just <laughs> let the world know that he broke up with her. <laughs> Look, I've got to say, of course, just focusing on Julia Gillard, I mean, the the country's first female Prime Minister, an incredibly historic figure, and uh, that misogyny speech went went viral. Tell us how you incorporate that into Gone Girls. Yeah, so we... You, obviously that moment was such a centrepiece of the um, show and I don't want to give too much away but we really do give it the time and space that it deserves and we allow Julia herself we project that and that's kind of has its own little moment uh, but that was kind of the joy that's where this show came from for me because I, I will admit I'm not the biggest Julie Bishop fan I wasn't when I started the show I just thought she was an interesting character um, but Julia Gillard was someone that I always looked up to right from, you know, 2007, that election. My family loved Julia Gillard. We're always like, no, let Julia speak, Kevin. Yeah. Move aside. <laughs> and eventually she became prime minister and um, it was very exciting. And I, I just wanted to reflect on her experience um, because it was so horrible. And it's funny because we did this show first in 2019 and, for some, oh, for a bunch of reasons, it's been brought back, brought back into the media in the last like year or two. Kind of the treatment of female politicians in Australia, mm. but at the time, I really wanted people to remember the things she was called and the way she was treated and the stories that were run about her in like women's magazines. Just the the venom towards her. I wanted to do a show where not only we could remember those things and take note of that, but then flip that on its head and give the story its own its own spin. Well, that's a lot of energy for you to harness as a director. How exciting. So exciting. I mean, that's that's what's been fun so far is just balancing um, – a challenge as well is, is balancing how awful some of the things that happened to her were, but also, um, you know, the show is a comedy and, it, and it's, it's draggy and it's hilarious. Um, but it also has so much heart and our – a little, I don't know, can I, can I say this? There's the concession oh, speech is yes. a sort of a central part of the show as yeah, well. Yeah, when Julia lost the prime ministership, she made a yeah very beautiful speech. Yeah, and I think that's probably the, the key to the show's success um, is is the way it is. It is really funny, but it has, yeah, it has so much heart. And the love that I think the show has for Julia is so, you know, central. And you really queerify them both, not just with the drag, but with this relationship. Well, I'll let you answer that. Back. Yeah, I don't want to give too How much away there. But it's, yeah, there's definitely um, queer undertones to the entire thing. And we have a lot of fun with that, playing with the audience's expectations of will they, won't they. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's right, right up until the end. And um, the grief and loss sounds really interesting in terms of Julia losing the prime ministership as well. Mm. Um, it sounds like it's a bit of a, uh, an emotional roller coaster for you playing her with those highs and lows, especially with that connection that you already had with her going into the role. 
It actually is for, for Belle and I because not it's drag. So we um, have the ability to go so far with it. But then we're also really playing these characters for the truth of it. And they rose to the highest heights and then were both dropped from them. So there's just so much drama there. Just the heartbreak involved, the betrayal involved in it. Um, it just makes for really great storytelling. Well, and what's, I think, so special about this script as well is the way it incorporates, you know, real things that were said and even recordings of real stuff um, throughout the media and the way that's incorporated. It's often just so hard to believe that some of it is real and that some of it was said and it can be so heartbreaking and we get little glimpses of, you know, Julia's real voice speaking about what happened and and some of the things that were, you know, used against her. It's, It's hard to believe, really. And you've got the historical prism, if you like. You're looking back on stuff that happened to them. If it happened now, it wouldn't be... It was never acceptable, but... But I think possibly it would have been easier for both women if it happened now because there would have been more people speaking out saying, no, this is wrong. But in actual fact, at the time, not enough did. Yeah. No, no, no one. It's... Um, I'm sure there were a few people, but you you had Jermaine Greer on Q&A um, telling her she had a fat ass, Like... <laughs> It was just unbelievable how far we've come as a culture, just the things that we now realise are just not okay. And I'm sure so many people were just laughing along because they didn't know what else to do. Not much closer to having another female PM, though. (laughs) Yeah, no, that still feels, yeah, very far away. Yeah. Have you reached out to uh, Julie Bishop and Julia Gillard about this production, either for the research or just to let them know, hey, we're doing this, do you want to come along and see it? Um, Julia is, I mean, they're both very busy, but Julia is, um, when we started doing the show, was still uh, head of the King's College Women in Leadership Institute um, in the UK. So she was unavailable for comment or participation, unfortunately. Um, But we did invite her to this season, but yeah, she's just so busy. However, Julie Bishop's niece came to the show in Adelaide and absolutely loved it. And Julie Bishop then tweeted our trailer um, which was very exciting. And we've had some of Penny Wong's staff come to the show and they absolutely loved it too. <laughs> That's really interesting. So Julie Bishop has acknowledged the production yeah. and Julia Gillard hasn't. I wonder well, Julia's, why that Ju- is. Julia's acknowledged it. Um, she, she knows we exist and she's given us all the best, but I think her, <laughs> her schedule won't allow for it. <laughs> so how do you handle references to people like Tony Abbott and Kevin Rudd in this production? Well, I think we've, the whole thing is very – we're holding um, an element of everything is tongue-in-cheek, but then everything is also taken seriously, and we're holding those two very equally. So that And that goes for the women themselves. So obviously some people need to be um, made the enemy, and we do make them the enemy when the story suits, but we're also not saying that these two characters were perfect – um, and that they did everything right. And I think that is where the complexity and the intrigue of the story comes into play. How do you excavate these two characters um, for dramatic purposes, but also for historical purposes? How do you look at what mistakes they made and say, you know, it wasn't all perfect. The misogyny doesn't mean the misogyny speech has any less significance, but it doesn't mean that Julia Gillard was this perfect feminist that always did the right thing. Mm. So you premiered the show in Adelaide. That's the hometown. Well, yeah. Julia Gillard's adopted hometown. And Julie, and Julie Bishop's, yeah. Julie Bishop's oh, yeah. hometown. Was that, was that intentional? 
Um, no, so we actually, the kind of initial season of the show was here in Melbourne, but we, we've called that a development season because the show really was still just figuring out what it was. Yeah. We then went through a really heavy period of development um, where Bell came on board and that was actually during the 2019-2020 bushfires. So we were going to rehearsals every day um, with the, that was when the Melbourne streets were covered in, there was just smoke everywhere. Mm. And so that really colored that development period. A lot of the scripts took a real U-turn because suddenly there was this real frustration um, in the streets about like, what are we doing about the climate crisis? Like we are just sleepwalking into the future and there is literal smoke in the streets, like the country's on fire. And so that really added this element of rage to it. We then took that show to Perth it did better. It was close to what we wanted, but then we had a final development before Adelaide, and that was that's why we call that the premiere season because that's when it had really hit its stride. Um, and no, it was just total coincidence. Well, I'm from Adelaide, and so I always put up shows in, for the Adelaide Fringe, but that's kind of where the show came from is because I first had the idea of sitting on the bus thinking about Julie Gillard and Julie Bishop writing each other these emails in Parliament House. And then the more I thought about it, the more I realised how much of a perfect dramatic pairing they were because they're both from Adelaide, Mm. but they have these mirrored experiences. You know, Julie Bishop was from a wealthy family where they have this orchard that's been handed down for generations. She was a head girl at a private school. She then went into corporate law. You know, she climbed through the ranks. Julia Gillard is from a migrant family from Wales, um, went to a public school, was head girl at a public school, then went into um, union movement and was a lawyer there. And so they've both done such similar things, but on complete ends of uh, opposite ends of the spectrum. And so that was where the idea really took off for this kind of odd couple pairing. Mm. Will, have you toyed with the idea of asking Tony Abbott or Kevin Rudd along ah! to the production? <laughs> we should invite all of them. I mean, we haven't, but maybe we should. We should invite everyone along. Definitely. <laughs> and you're on 3CR Breakfast uh, with Jacob. That was James McKenzie from 3CR's In Your Face program talking to Patrick Livesey and Will King about the political drag comedy Gone Girls, which is opening at the end of this month. And you can hear the rest of that interview by visiting the 3CR In Your Face webpage. This interview aired on the In Your Face program last Friday, July the 8th. Uh, And if you want to hear more, you can tune in every Friday afternoon at 5pm on 3CR. Thanks to James for sharing that segment with us this morning. To find out more about Gone Girls and to book tickets, head to gasworks.org.au forward slash what's on forward slash Gone Girls. Um, And we'll pop some links in the show notes for you if you want to head to our website, 3cr.org.au forward slash Wednesday breakfast. Uh, Some really interesting conversations uh, around leadership and politics. And I think that provides a really good segment into our next piece, uh, which is all about the YMCA Victorian Youth Parliament. If you're not familiar with the program, it brings together over 120 young people from across metropolitan and regional Victoria who take to the Houses of Parliament to debate 18 bills that were developed over the course of five months. And these mock bills were created as a part of the YMCA um, Victoria Youth Parliament Program, and they are presented to the Minister for Youth, Ross Spence. It's no secret that young people are underrepresented in politics. In the 46th Parliament of Australia, 
the average age of a politician was 51, while recent census data suggests that the median age of an Australian is around 37. The YMCA Youth Parliament brought together over 120 young people from across metropolitan and regional Victoria to develop and debate bills in the Victorian Parliament House in chambers that are traditionally occupied by older white men. I'm Jacob Gamble, reporting on the YMCA Victoria Youth Parliament for 2022. Parliament is a program that gives 120 young people from across the state of Victoria an opportunity to come together, create a network of passionate young people, as well as provide recommendations to the Victorian government about changes that they would like to see in the legislation across the state. Tessa Buchanan is the Victorian Youth Parliament Program Director. The 120 young people, all in teams of six, create 20 bills of recommendations to the government about changes that they would like to see. So these might be in issues that they are particularly passionate about, that they might have experience in, um, in the attempt to create Victoria a more friendly environment for young people. Some of the bills are around education, so we're looking at life and career skills in schools, as well as adding extracurricular activities to count towards the ATAR um, ranking. Some of them are to do with public transport, so there is a bill from Mildura who are trying to get the train from the Mali region to be reinstated into the public infrastructure. Um, and there are also bills to do with providing sanitary products to uh, people across Victoria who are unable to currently access those products. The question is that the bill now be read the first time. All those of that opinion say aye. Aye. To the contrary, no. I think the ayes have it. Sponsor. President, the Honourable Member, Ruben Desai. I move that the bill now be read a second time. Uh, my name's Jake Murphy, I'm 17 years old and I'm from Wedderburn in the Loddon Shire. Jake Murphy is a member of the Loddon Bullock Shire team from Northwest Victoria, who developed the Sustainability and Carbon Neutrality in Mining Bill that seeks to restore natural environments in and around old and new mines. Tell me a little bit more about why we need carbon neutrality in mines. Mines are an integral part of not only Victoria's economy, but Australia's economy. They pump an obscene amount of money back into local economies, uh, global economies, and also world economies. Um, not to mention that they make up and produce the products that go into nearly everything they touch. Uh, in fact, you're recording on a microphone that I'm familiar with from my music days, and I can guarantee that probably about a third of the electrical components in there come from mining. So we can thank the mines for this interview. Um, the purpose of the bill was to encourage mines to become green because simply we need them to. If they don't, we're going to continue down a path of unsustainability and end up in a world, like I said before, where we won't be able to turn back the clock on global warming and environmental impacts. And so keeping in mind that we need these mines to sustain our global economy and sustain the rural societies and sustain 
everything that makes up Australia, we tried to come up with a bill that kept them economically viable and green. If the government actually cared about this, then they would withdraw their backwards bill that, if given to the minister, would genuinely undermine their claimed intent. My name is Danuki Rajapaksha. I'm from Hume and I'm 20 years old. Danuki Rajapaksha and her team are from the northern suburbs of Melbourne and are proposing the increased regulation of gambling services bill that seeks to remove gambling advertisements on social media, establish a commission to investigate political donations, and mandate proof-of-age checks in online gambling. So we're presenting our bill on increasing gambling regulation, so that involves um, essentially looking at the existing legislation, but we've found that, that the, the messaging around it is kind of unclear. So if you think, for example, like responsible gambling, it makes the people who are at risk of gambling in charge of their gambling habits when actually the industry has a very big part to play. Also um, implementing a verification of age, so some of the betting apps that we have currently right now, um, young people below the age of 18 actually can join and start betting, but they can't actually get their like the wins from their bettings um, out of the account until they're 18 years old. And there are also no identity verification systems in place, so that's also a big um, part of the bill. Um, we're also addressing the language and the themes around the messaging, as I mentioned before, um, and also just looking at the regulation around um, gambling advertising as well. So ACMA is in charge of gambling advertising and there are a lot of exceptions. So some, com- some betting companies are exempted from the rules um, that are currently in place to protect young people and children. Um, on free-to-air television um, and they're only in place of free-to-air television so we're trying to increase that to you know, social media platforms and um, other like subscription services essentially and yeah and finally we're planning to establish a regulation of Victoria Gambling Services Committee um, and they're going to be in charge of investigating the connection between gambling organizations and just companies and political parties because we've realized that um, the gambling industry does um, kind of fund political parties and so that connection between gambling and the government is something that we're really trying to focus on and regulate because um, the gambling industry has a massive influence. Sustainability, cultural tensions and the growing need for solutions happens to overwhelm and envelop our reality in Victoria. However, there is a beacon of knowledge and practice to aid our journey towards helping our environment and aiding reconciliation. Today, I'll be saying the reasons why implementing traditional burning practices uh, my name is Ryan and I'm the 2022 YMCA Youth Parliament Youth Premier. Ryan Peterson is the Youth Premier and a member of the City of Greater Bendigo team presenting the Improving Medical Pathways into Regional and Rural Victoria Bill to improve the number of medical professionals working in regional and remote areas. So our bill is called Improving Medical Pathways into Regional and Rural Victoria 2022. And what we are looking to do, um, given that we are representing Bendigo, which is one of the larger regional centres in Victoria, we want to, in that sense, use the platform that we have to establish um, a range of committees and initiatives that will either attract, um, attract, 
medical professionals and medical staff in training to regional areas um, or keep them in regional areas if that's where they're training from. Hi, my name is Sam Ibrahim. I'm 24 years old and I'm from Melbourne, Australia. Sam Ibrahim's team, the Red Robins, are proposing the Rehabilitation and Youth Justice Bill to transfer current residents of youth justice centres to new youth wellness centres where they access social spaces, gyms and therapy rooms. My team and I are bringing forth the Rehabilitation in Youth Justice Bill. It sets out to reform the current youth detention system, which only seeks to um, punish people experiencing it. And so it reforms it to make it more focused on rehabilitation and really helping people um, advance through society despite their circumstances. When I was younger, my teacher used to frequently ask me unpleasant questions about my hair or skin color or skin tone. Not saying all were racist, in fact, most, most times they tried to compliment me while unintentionally offending me. My teacher once commented, your skin is so smooth and you must adore being a good shade of brown. Hello, I am Razaz Al-Ghali and I am 17 years old and I'm one of the Victorian African Communities team. Hello, I'm Dania Dawood. I am 16 years old and I am part of the Victorian African Communities Action Plan. One bill that received unanimous support from the Legislative Assembly was the African Cross-Cultural Community Education and Engagement Bill that addresses racism in the schooling system through a teacher training program that explores white privilege, implicit racism and cultural sensitivity. Danya Dawood and Razez Al-Ghali were both members of the sponsoring team. What we presented in our bill was with the intent of making that change that we see necessary and because of our own experience this has been, this has been reflected in what we stand for today. Um, initially we went through an interview process with our school community liaison officers so there are currently six African Australian liaison officers in schools across Victoria only six bear in mind the African Australian uh, student population is a lot higher and requires a lot more of these officers and these are the people that have given us this opportunity to be able to come to parliament speak in events like these where otherwise we wouldn't even know that these are opportunities existed so yeah we saw that we saw that gap that issue that needed to be solved and we wanted to go for it and we wanted to like racism in general is really broad but we wanted to start with ourselves because like yeah. we like that's where change begins and we want to be like an influence to other minorities on the 16th of april this year an article titled quote african migrants struggle to find work without without white references and quote this posted by the abc What has been a personal highlight for you this youth parliament? Or oh, just like me um, stating my speech because I was like so passionate and like I kind of got like so emotional by it because it was actually like from the bottom of my heart and like I really want to make a change because if you don't, it's just it's going to be bad. It's honestly going to be bad from like my own experiences. 
Racism and discrimination have extended far beyond the classroom. African Australian youth are constantly confronted with racism outside participation, and we know it takes more than one person to combat these issues. Thus, it is critical that family and communities are included in discussion. And like, make sure that our voices are actually being, you know, put into action, not only listened to, but um, yeah, like we're all like we're really inspired by the like what we've what we've presented today and what we've seen today in Parliament, and like knowing that this is a possibility, like literally the sky's the limit. It's not only youth Parliament. Like we have, like we are agents of change. We can, you know, make change in our society. This bill is not about the Victorian state budget. Furthermore, the subsidies that are offered are progressive. So the honourable member's points were completely incorrect in that regard. Why is it so important to involve young people in politics? Um, and yeah, what are your hopes for the, the end of this program? So I think the most obvious answer to that question is that young people are the future and young people are the population who are going to be inheriting the community that community that we are in uh, today and so hopefully out of this program young people will be able to firstly realise their passions and realise what changes they can make in their community as well as be able to be the voice to the wider community to be able to put their issues out there in the front foot and so be able to actually make those changes and not just speak about it, um, which I think is a very tokenistic approach that's often uh, seen throughout not just the state but throughout the world. And so um, this program really aims to be able to make real change without just being another voice in the masses. I think there's two main parts to it. The first one is improving young people's knowledge of civics and Victorian parliament and how the state government works as a whole is really important. And then I think once, you know, the parliamentarians finish up with this program and they go back home, they have so many transferable skills that they can use and they have those skills to be able to go back to their communities, speak about changes that they might want to enact in the community and hopefully... Um, are really able to make something happen in their, say, their home local governments or wherever it is that they've come from.
Following three days of debates, the teams gathered in the Legislative Assembly for the closing ceremony, where their bills were handed to a representative of Ross Spence, the Victorian Minister for Youth. That final speech was the closing address from Youth Governor Curgeon Angel. To learn more on the YMCA Victorian Youth Parliament, follow us on Twitter at YPVic, Instagram at Youth Parliament Victoria, or visit the website at vicyouth.ymca.org.au. And you're on 3CR Breakfast, joined by Jacob. Uh, that was a little piece on the YMCA Victorian Youth Parliament and probably one of the bills um, that really stood out to me um, that wasn't covered in that piece was one called the Gender and Sexual Romantic uh, Minorities Bill, which sought to improve education uh, around LGBTQIA plus youth. And it passed um, one of the houses unanimously, which I just thought was a real win for LGBTQIA plus youth. Um, and as a, a young person who is also queer as well, it was quite a, um emotional experience to see the Houses of Parliament uh, both support, well, the Youth Parliament uh, support a really active bill. Um, and I want to play from you now a song by a trans artist called Flower Kid, who is also a young LGBTQIA plus person. Um, so this one is called Misandry, and afterwards we'll be right back with an interview uh, on an upcoming event for 3CR. Day. 
Welcome back to 3CR Breakfast. Uh, that song was Miss Andrew by Flower Kid. Plenty of queer angst uh, to start your morning off if you're just joining us now. Um, my name is Jacob and I'm really excited to bring you this next segment. We're going to be speaking with Mercedes Zanka, who is a member of the 3CR family. So 3CR's Uprise Radio and Stick Together have combined forces to bring you an afternoon of lively discussion and music to help 3CR Community Radio reach this year's Radiothon target. Um, So this event is called Climate, Capitalism and the Future, and joining us now is host of Uprise Radio and one of the event organisers, Mercedes Zanka. So Mercedes, good morning and welcome. Good morning, Jacob. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's a a pleasure. Now, I'm really interested in this event. It's got a very evocative title, if I do say so. Can you tell us a bit more about what we can expect at the event? Uh, yeah, so the event is on the 23rd of July uh, at Black Spark in Northcote. Um, so, but we put together the event, as you said, Climate Capitalism in the Future, and we'll be kicking it off at 3.30 with a panel discussion. Um, so we're still finalising a few details of the panel, but uh, we'll be having four guests joining us. And really, you know, as we've seen with um, a lot of things in the climate movement and activism more broadly, uh, and just how uh, imperative imperative it is um, to start, you know, really to uh, continue the work of talking about strategy and tactics with increased police repression. Um, We've put together a panel just to talk about uh, how we navigate climate justice as we go ahead and um, tactics and strategy and solidarity as well. Um, So, uh, as I said, we're still finalising the panel, but so far we've got Dr Colin Long um, from Vic Trades Hall, who is responsible for supporting Trades Hall work on cooperatives, um, one of the founders and board members of Earthworker uh, and the Global Advisory Board of Trade Unions for Energy Democracy. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll also be joined by Zelda Grimshaw from Blockade Australia, which I'm sure many of your listeners are aware of their uh, really successful actions, shutting down economic bottlenecks, but also, you know, as a target of increased police repression on protest. Um, and also Anthony Kelly from MALS, or Melbourne Activist Legal Support, who do really incredible work fielding legal observers and keeping police accountable. Um, yeah. So, and also, you know, there'll be... Um, the, that discussion will centre around colonialism and climate justice and what that looks like on stolen land. Some really important discussions, I think, to continue beyond uh, just the election cycle. And I know you've got an an artist performing, at least it says so on the event description. Do you want to tell us a bit about that? Yeah, for sure. So it's actually pretty exciting because um, this morning on the show I'll be announcing a couple more artists to the bill. Um, for the first time, hot off the press. So, mm. um, Les Thomas, who, again, I'm sure is well known to many of the listeners, is, uh, you know, has a really distinct country folk storytelling. Um, and he, you know, writes songs with really powerful messages of social justice and human rights. Uh, so he'll be joining us on the bill. Um, we're also pretty excited to announce that Maxine Fink, who is a front woman of local country garage band Foggy Notion, uh, will be joining us to play a solo set. Um, having a bit of hiatus, she's written some new solo material, and really, you know, packs a powerful punch of taking the crap, if I can say that. So that's um, <laughs> I'm pretty excited to to announce Maxine on the bill, and we've also 
uh, we'll be hearing from the three-piece grunge band from the Yarra Rangers, the Sooty Owls. Um, so they're a forest-led mm. activist music and pretty exciting news that their most recent release, War with China, has been picked for the official selection in the International Activist Film Awards. Oh. And the winners of that will be announced on the 23rd, so it's going to be a pretty exciting day all round. Wow, yeah, what a, what a great lineup um, of not only speakers but musicians. There's a good mix in there of different genres too. Um, and w- I know it's happening um, at the Black Spark Cultural Centre in Northcote. Um, how much are we charging for entry? Uh, so tickets are $10. Um, there's also, and you can book them via Humanitix if you just search uh, 3CR Radiothon Fundraiser Climate Capitalism on the Future. Um, and Or you can follow us on, you know, Uprise Radio or stick together on social media and follow the link there. So they're $10. There's an option for a solidarity price. But of course, you know, no one's turned away. But if you want to come along, yeah, everyone's welcome. Mm, good community feel there um, and some really great discussions, I'm sure. What would you say uh, is the most important or, or most interesting topic that you're looking forward to hearing about on the night? Um, I I think that it'll be really important to kind of discuss some of the changes that have happened in response, you know, um, increased police repression um, when we're looking at, as you said, with the recent election, which has been called the climate election, how we move beyond just that because... Obviously, it is um, grassroots campaigns and activisms where we really do see change um, instead of maintaining the power structures that do exist sometimes through the electoral process. Um, so I'm really looking forward to how how we can discuss kind of um, moving forward in, in that regard and uh, having a little bit of a discussion how we navigate increased police repression and also um, talking about generating a narrative because we're seeing the results of... Uh, climate collapse, you know, um, floods and fires and all of these things and how we really um, can work together and, and bring solidarity between between groups that are actively working on the ground. Um, yeah, I think that's that's what I'm looking forward to, to hearing about and people's ideas. You know, there will be an opportunity for question and answers with the panel. Um, at the end, so the panel goes from 3.30 to 5 and then the music will kick off from 5 until about 7. Mm, awesome. Well, it, it definitely is um, important, I think, as you said, to build those solidarity between those groups. I mean, we've seen three probably more major floods happen in the last 18 months. So it does certainly feel like we're entering grim times, um, but thankfully... Uh, we've got the support of our community, and I think that's what this event is all about, raising money for community radio. Now, you're a host of Uprise Radio, so in your opinion, why do you think it's important to keep community voices and independent media on the airwaves? Oh, it's paramount. I mean, you know, 3CR is independent community radio that um, really gives the platform to so many um, voices in our community to tell it like it is. Um, and it's really people-powered radio, you know, as you would know, Jacob, the, the team and the community around 3CR is absolutely mm. incredible. It's supportive. It really embodies what, what solidarity means um, and and being able to provide a place where people can tell, tell it like it is and tell their stories in their own words, um, not through through other, mecha- you know, other mechanisms. And I think, um, yeah, it's I've, uh, I'm so grateful for the 
be part of the 3CR community and, you know, if we can support it in any way to keep it on the airwaves, um, I think it's just yeah, absolutely paramount. Yeah, I definitely feel that solidarity. It always warms my heart to think about all the amazing people um, that are here at this station doing all these things. And I want to say thank you as well for organising this event um, and for all of your contributions to the movement and to the community. It's really exciting and, yeah, I can't wait to get a ticket. Yeah, I really look forward to seeing everybody there. Um, there will be tickets on the door. There'll be refreshments and home-baked cakes, which will be really tasty. Oh. Um, but, yeah, jump over to follow us on the socials and, and get your tickets, and we can't wait to see you there. Amazing. Mercedes, thanks so much for joining us here on Breakfast. And when can we catch you on Uprise? Uh, so we'll be on Uprise again next Wednesday at 5.30, so I think that'll be the 20th, I believe if uh, correct. Um, so, yeah, n- next Wednesday. Um, so we've got a pretty exciting interview lined up um, again about climate. So um, tune into that. We'll be talking about gas drilling in the Otway Basin. Fantastic. All important discussions. Um, and I hope you enjoy the rest of your Wednesday. Thanks. You too, Jacob. Good to talk to you. Thank you. And that was uh, Mercedes Zanka there, who is a, a host here at 3CR um, of Uprise Radio, speaking about their event, Climate Capitalism and the Future. Um, once again, if you miss the details, it's happening on the 23rd of July from 3 to 7 p.m. Um, and we'll have some more details on our website in the show notes. So make sure you visit 3cr.org.au forward slash Wednesday breakfast. I've got one more announcement to make before we wrap up today's show. You may not have seen this from the news coverage, but there have been some changes to pandemic orders in Victoria as of last night. Um, So the protective window from prior infection. So if you've been infected with COVID, um, it's been reduced from 12 weeks to 28 days. So reinfection is on the rise. There's a lot of new variants in the community. So it's really important that we're still making sure we're staying safe and protecting each other. There's no changes to current face mask requirements, um, but it's highly recommended to wear it in indoor and crowded settings. Health workers who have been burnt out and overworked largely the past two years are really asking the community to mask up and protect our healthcare systems. Um, So if you are a positive case as well, you're still required to isolate for seven days from the day you tested positive, but there is an additional reason to leave home if you need to provide transport to a household member um, to obtain food if essential. So the infected person needs to remain in the car and wearing a face covering at all times. Um, Now, in regards to vaccinations too, 96% of eligible Victorians have had their first dose and 94.6% have had a second dose. However, only 68.6% have had their third dose. Um, So I think it's really vital if you haven't and you are eligible um, to go and get that third dose. And if you need a fourth dose as well, they are also offering winter top-up doses um, for anyone over 50 years old. Head to the website coronavirus.vic.gov.au forward slash vaccination centres for more information or call the coronavirus hotline 1-800-675-398 for more information on that. That brings us to the end of today's show. Thank you so much for joining us here on Breakfast. Up next is Stick Together. 3CR would like to thank our sponsors, Earth Greetings. Cards that connect, care and celebrate. 
Support wildlife and habitat with every purchase. Inspired by nature, giving back to the planet. Learn more at earthgreetings.com.au. 3CR Breakfast would like to thank the New International Bookshop, Melbourne's independent radical bookstore and venue, for their financial support of this program. You can find Nibs in the basement of Trades Hall in Victoria Street, Carlton. And while you're there, check out Radical Coffee, a worker-run cooperative cafe in the courtyard. Keep up to date with upcoming events at nibs.org.au.